when I was rest or under pressure for whatever reason or a little bit uncomfortable, this is what I tend to do. That may be fine, but what kind of signal does it send to someone else? And, and it really doesn't take a degree in anything to become more aware of what you're doing. In fact, your mother probably told you, sit up straight, put your shoulders back. You know, I mean, she didn't maybe have a degree in psychology and she didn't need one, but she knew that when you stood or sat in that position, you looked more and you felt more in control of things. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you again, and we are looking forward to another great episode. This time, we're focusing our topic on the silent language of leaders, Brian. That's right. We got Carol Kenzie Goman. Dr. Carol Kenzie Sorry. Goman. Dr. Carol, yeah. Um, fairly decent-sized book for me, you know, we're... We're coming off of the uh, the Go For No book, uh, which I actually read after The Silent Language of Leaders, which is Dr. Carroll's book. A um, little bit longer of a read, but I will say, as I can recall, it is the most comprehensive book I've read on body language. I wouldn't say I've read 100 books on body language, but it was one of those things I studied furiously, um, especially when I was in a truck. But since 2004, <clears throat> I always felt like if there was a one more strategy out there for understanding why someone's face moved a certain way or why somebody's arms moved a certain way or, you know, why some why somebody smiled right here or frowned or whatever, I just, I wanted to understand it more and more. And I read that book recently. So a little uh, info into my world of how I book guests. Um I don't remember what I was reading in my Audible account. And they give you suggested books based on the book you're reading, listening to, you know. Well, Carol Kinsey Goman's book, The Silent Language of Leaders, popped up. I clicked on it, downloaded it, spent a credit, listened to it thoroughly, and then listened to it again because it was a fantastic um, piece of work on body language. So got a hold of her and got her on the show. And that's kind of, uh, that actually tends to be my process for getting guests on the show. Um, I've either read a book of theirs that I really liked or somebody recommends it or it comes across my Audible uh, recommended list and I listen to it. And there, there are a lot of books that you guys will never hear from the authors because I don't think it's a great book. But <clears throat> if I do like the book and, and it does a lot for me, then I at least try to get the author on. It doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, that's that's great, uh, Brian. And um, we're excited to have her on. And of course, um, today's topic is focusing on leadership, which is something that we can all benefit from. But before we get too much farther, let's dig into our quote for the day. When the eyes say one thing and the tongue another, 
A practiced man relies on the language of the first. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Oh, all right, Emerson. Very nice. Yeah. The concept that we're focusing on today is is straight out of her book, which is called The Silent Language of Leadership. So as Brian mentioned, it is very leaders. much leaders. Yeah. Okay, excuse me. You're welcome. The Silent Language of Leaders. Um, and as Brian mentioned, it is focusing a lot on body language, but um, I think we're excited to jump in with her in conversation and, and dive into even other aspects of what it is to be in leadership and uh, kind of the, the presentation that comes along with that. Yeah, we do, we do tons and tons of work here on what to say, right? And everyone does in selling situations, presentation situations. Tons and tons of work goes into, I hope, if you're a professional, into your presentation and, and what you say to a client. In my opinion, not nearly enough work is going into your body language because it, it deceives what you're saying so often. And as you, as you would read in this book, and hopefully we'll talk about with her here soon, oftentimes what we perceive from someone's body language is not what's actually coming out. But we as salespeople have to be, have to protect against that. So I could be a little nervous because I'm in a new situation and my body language is saying that I am dishonest, that I'm uh, being deceitful to someone who doesn't really know body language. They might have their own historical reasons to think that. So what we have to be careful of is that we don't look dishonest, even if we're not being dishonest. So the reason, one of the reasons I love to study body language is to make sure I'm not giving off a vibe that I don't mean to. You're right, Brian. And it's not even just, um, you know, how, how we're perceiving the other person, but it's also how that, that person is perceiving us as well, because body language is a two way street. So even some of the tactics that we've discussed on the show before about how to present yourself to a client to make yourself as amicable as possible or as least offensive as possible uh, is something worth studying because the last thing that you want to be happening is for the client to be misinterpreting you as well, right? So that, that goes both directions. And it's important for us to remember that there is two people involved in every transaction. There is the client who we are attempting to read and attempting to understand what's going on with them, but they're also doing the same to us, whether they're cognitively trying it or not, they are doing it. And how we present ourselves in the home, outside of the home, and all the places in between can make a big difference into how they perceive us and how they are willing to interact with us moving forward. So we all know when we're speaking to a client and, and that client says, you know, it seems like everything's going well and we're well on our way to getting some products moved. And that client says, eh, you know what, I think I'd like to think about it a little bit more. Or says, hey, time out. I, I don't understand this part you're losing me. Can you go a little bit further into it? We, we get that part. And then we just say, Oh yeah, sure. But what we don't oftentimes get is when they just go from having their arms wide open, maybe one over the top of the chair to folding their arms as you're speaking, that is their arms saying, hold on a second. You're losing me. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Can you clarify? But they don't say it with their mouths. So if we're not studied up on body language, we have no idea what just happened. Or they do the uh, the day trip move where their eyes gloss over and they're looking at you, but they're clearly looking right through you. And you need to be able to see the nonverbal cues when that happens and, and go, 
hey, I'm really, I'm really enjoying myself speaking here, like, like I am right now. <laughs> Typical. But he or she, this wonderful client who spent their hard-earned money to have me at their house, they're no longer enjoying this conversation, and we are so oblivious to that part when someone is just looking right through us because they're not hearing a word we're saying. We need to, to uh, understand body language and be able to go, hold up, time out. But this book is much more, <clears throat> much more about the, the body language of leaders and leading people. And I would say not just being a, a better leader, but looking like a better leader when you're dealing with people. And I don't want to step too much on what we talk about, although I'm sure there's going to be a lot because this book is, it's a really good book and it's just packed full of good stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure some of you are even asking the question like, oh, why does this really matter to me? You know, and it, it may seem kind of uh, high and lofty, you know, body language. Okay. Yeah. Body language and stuff. But how many times, like Brian was saying, how many times do you walk out of a home and you just wonder what happened? What changed? What made the difference? Why did things go from good to bad or the flip side? Why did things go from bad to good? Hold on. Time out right there. You're walking down the walkway. You did not get the sale. I think there's only about 10% of people out there, who, and hopefully it's all of our audience, but maybe it is, maybe it isn't, <clears throat> who hit the timeout button and go, why didn't I get that? All right. And we should absolutely be doing that. But that's not common practice. You think it is because, you know, you know champions like me. That's, and, uh, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. And the absolute freak monsters we have on this show and most of our audience who actually communicates with me and Nate uh, outside of here by like, you know, Facebook messenger and email and stuff like that. <clears throat> but it's not common practice for salespeople to say, to really reflect on that last call, especially when you almost had it and then you lost it at the end. Oh, but, they're, they're going to buy. Yeah. They're going to buy. They're going to call me back. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah. That's the, uh, the unprofessional salesperson's moniker, the flag they fly. <laughs> How do I know? It's not just because I train salespeople. I know because I was a very poor, unprofessional salesperson in the beginning. And I know that instead of really reflect on what I may have done better to get that locked up, I like to say, or I used to like to say, ah, they'll call me. I, got, I give it a month. That one's going down. It's, yeah, it's going to sell. <clears throat> it's sell. Right. I should have been Take saying, it to the bank. What did I need to say right then and there? to make it go down while I was standing there instead of our local competitor getting it. You want to talk, uh, speaking of the things going down, um, you want to know why body language is so important, Brian? Um, have you why, ever, why is body language so important? <laughs> <laughs> the setup. Have you ever had a uh, toddler, an incommunicative toddler, like somebody who doesn't know how to say words, get sick? Mm -hmm. That 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 is the definition of why body language is important. <laughs> you mean when you uh, when you go running for the bowl? Exactly and, right. And they turn toward your phone or iPad <laughs> or uh, TV remote or whatever you don't want to get destroyed. But it's so true. Like as I've raised children and I and I you know examine that portion of it because of course everybody gets sick, but they're not able to communicate. Like oh, I feel like I'm about to throw up, and so you have to start reading the tea leaves, as they say. Uh, and understanding like, oh, well, this seems like this might go south uh, pretty quickly here. And um, that helps prevent disaster. It helps prevent cleanup. And in a similar fashion in sales, the better you get at understanding the look that your client is giving you right now, 
the look that your client is giving their spouse right now uh, or any of the motions they're making with their arms or uh, their feet even or how they're standing, those types of things, that all can prevent disaster in, in terms of there being just a complete mess to clean up. Uh, and so that's why body language, you know, in a, in a simple way is very important for us to study and understand. And easy. It's easy to study and understand. It's not really that difficult. YouTube video, hit hit us up. Check this book out, The Silent Language of Leaders. It's a more of a leadership thing, but it doesn't matter. You you read this book or listen to this audio book and you're you're all in on what you need to know about body language, or at least to get started. But yeah, start getting to know it. You'll, I mean, for the most part, you'll really enjoy digging into the nonverbal cues and body language arts. And without further ado, it's time for us to do that right now. So we are going to put Dr. Carol Kinsey-Goman in your passenger seat. Our guest today is Dr. Carol Kinsey-Goman. She helps leaders and salespeople build stronger influence and impact skills. She is a sought-after international speaker who has spoken for business organizations, association conferences, government agencies, and universities in 32 countries. Carol works with executives, managers, entrepreneurs, team leaders, and sales professionals to build that elusive but essential quality called leadership presence and to use body language to become a more effective communicator. Her speaking engagements are designed to give audiences powerful and practical strategies that can be implemented immediately with speaking topics that include her most requested, How to Build Your Leadership Presence and the Power of Presence for Women Who Lead. The author of 13 business books, including her latest award-winning Stand Out, How to Build Your Leadership Presence, Carol is a leadership blogger for Forbes, the creator of LinkedIn Learning's best-selling video course with over 2 million views called Body Language and Leaders. Can't wait to talk about that one, Brian. And she's also a content expert with the e-learning company Athena Online and a faculty member of the Institute for Management Studies. She's also been a therapist in private practice, a nightclub performer, a majorette for the 49ers football team, and not necessarily in that order, now a guest on the Waste No Day podcast. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Carol. Hey, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on. Absolute pleasure to talk to you. I um, listened to your audio book, The Silent Language of Leaders, um, talking about... Uh, true leaders and how, how they use body language to let's say not only their advantage, but the advantage of the people they lead, because it, it seemed, it seems to make people more effective and better people when they're kind of masters of how they're coming across to people. Um, yeah. I just thought for yeah. myself, I'm like, we, we've got to get this to our audience because not only for the leaders in the group, the managers and the owners of the companies, but also for, for salespeople, which most of, the technicians in trucks are salespeople at all times. We're trying to get people to call us back. We're trying to sell products and services. I haven't, I haven't met anyone in business who didn't have to sell their idea, sell themselves. And I mean that in a very non-sexual way, but simply promote themselves. They, they really, we all are doing that. So I think that the skills that salespeople can glean or customer service people can glean are the same skills that leaders need in order to really connect with the people that they serve and sell to and lead. 
Absolutely. Well, Dr. Goman or uh, Carol, as I believe you prefer to be called, um, we want to jump into kind of your your story. Uh, I think it's always interesting how people wind up where they are today and what got them there. So did you always have a dream to study uh, body language or what exactly turned you on to that field and why did you decide to pursue it for your career? My career story is hysterical. No one could follow my path and it's a question (laughs) that I ask all the time, you know, I would like to be like you. How can I do that? And it's like, don't do what I did because it made no sense at all. Oh, okay. In show business. So I took acting lessons and that's how I began to learn how important it was to understand body language when you're portraying a character and also to understand how the way you dress influences the way you act so that if you watch the difference between a rehearsal and a dress rehearsal for a play you will notice an incredible difference when people dress for the part now that's all nonverbal, obviously. It's all part of body language and it's all those things that are so inconsequential in a way. They, they don't really say anything about you as a person, but they send a message that people get whether you like it or not. So all of the body language cues that I learned when I was studying acting became really important when I became a therapist in private practice for a very short time. And I noticed right away that people's bodies were either substantiating what they were telling me, or they were going in a different direction. And that's when I first learned about the importance of alignment. There are really no good or bad body language signals, but there is good or bad alignment. So for example, if I say welcome, and I have my hands out and my palms are showing, that's congruent with a welcome message. If I say welcome and I cross my arms, that is incongruent or out of alignment. Now, there's nothing wrong with crossing your arms. But when you do that in opposition to your words, what happens is a little tricky thing called N400. Have you heard of that? Uh, Not familiar. Is that the letter N? It's the letter N, 400. And it's a valley that your brain waves drop into. If you had an EEG on your head and we were charting your brain waves up and down, N, 400 is a valley that your brain drops into if someone says nonsense. So if I were to say to you, yes, I understand my mother and the giraffe over here in the ice cream cone that I really would like, your brain would go right down into N, 400 like what the heck did she just say? <laughs> yep, I think it just did. <laughs> Is that where you feel the natural inclination to to uh, look to the left and then up and to the right and then down very quickly? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I believe that roll of the eyes would be very appropriate. But what happens was when they notice that the same thing happens to people's brains, when they hear something and they see the opposite. So when I say welcome and I cross my arms, which for most of us is a signal that we read, we read it as a signal of disengagement or disagreement or definitely not welcoming. When that happens, the brain waves of my audience, whether it's one or a thousand, 
will go drop down into that N400 and people will be confused. Now, when they're confused, they're forced to pick whether they believe what they just heard or they believe what they just saw. And this is all very subconscious. It's not like we're going, oh, well, I saw her cross her arms and she said, welcome. That much. I mean, we don't do that. We simply unconsciously or subconsciously come to a decision, and we almost always believe the body. Hmm. Uh, what What is the what's the the I don't know the genetics behind that? Like why why do we why does the body take precedent over the mouth? Is it because the body generally doesn't lie? I think it's because the body generally shows our true emotions. It, it can lie, of course, but it does generally show our true emotional attachment to whatever we're saying but it's also our first language you know we we are primed from way before we could speak or or communicate in other ways to read body language and that's why we do it so fast because that was a life or death situation in other words if i am speaking and i have my hands behind my back or in my pockets or if I'm standing at a lectern and you can't see my hands because they're under the under the table part, you tend to not believe what I'm saying, or at least you're skeptical. And that goes all the way back to our prehistory, where if someone approached you with hidden hands, it was most likely in your evolutionary advantage to think, oh my gosh, probably has a club or something that could harm me. Because if you were wrong, big deal. But if you were right, you had a chance to defend yourself or run, you know, fight or flight. However, if you thought, oh, probably a bouquet of flowers, and you were wrong, you were probably clubbed over the head. So we deflect to the negative, and we make those evaluations so, so fast. So now that's become, you see a Colorado phone number on your caller ID on your cell phone, and you're like, they're trying to sell me a car warranty. car warranty, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That doesn't even take body language or a clinical degree in psychology. I just know it. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Well, we, we all know kind of, um, I mean, subconsciously, we all know these body language things, right? But it takes someone to actually study um, and become educated on why we do them and, and what they mean for us to to know it consciously. Like if, if somebody walks up right. with their hands behind their back um, quickly at you, 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 you would automatically kind of go into a defensive stance of some kind, I assume. I mean, I was just picturing these kind of things happening while you were talking about the uh, club versus the bouquet of flowers behind their back. And I'm thinking, well, someone's talking to me with their hands behind their back. I don't know. I don't really care. But if what if they were walking quickly at me? Now it's like all of a sudden you're going into fight or flight, right? At least to some degree. Um, that body to some degree. But if that person were on stage and they were giving a speech uh, to a customer uh, base to whomever, and they gave that entire speech with hidden hands, you wouldn't necessarily go into fight or flight, but you wouldn't tr necessarily trust what they were saying. Because hands, showing hands, it's like that palms up, I have nothing to hide signal. If they 
really it's one of those ways that you show warmth and that you can be trusted. When you keep your hands hidden, there's a message that there's a subconscious message again. It's not like people say, oh, I can't see her hand. She must be lying. You know, but but they would tend not to believe what I was saying. Yeah, I can see it. Like um, even when I'm having uncomfortable conversations, the the um, oh, you know what? You know what I was thinking of? You were talking about in the book, uncomfortable conversations where depending on how high, I believe it was a, a drink, depending on how yeah. high people held their coffee cup. So this morning I was having a conversation with my water bottle, was getting fairly uncomfortable with a uh, fellow manager. And I noticed myself like pull it closer <laughs> and then raise it up a little bit, like as if this some subconscious thing in me said this water bottle will protect you. It was plastic, so it wasn't going to do much, but there it was. <laughs> and I was like, that's funny, because it, it wasn't like a defensive conversation where, you know, uh, Mike's about to attack me here. But um, I did notice, I, I, I consciously realized that my water bottle was going up in my hand a little bit higher, like as if it's protecting my vital organs. <laughs> yeah, I had a manager say I could tell how well my team was getting along by how much they had to barricade their bodies with their coffee cups during mm. break. Right. And and a uh, policeman that I had interviewed once said that he noticed that when your when his suspect was telling the truth, they would allow that coffee cup or water whatever to go to the side, but when they started to feel stressed or perhaps they were going to be deceptive, they would bring that right in front of them in order to to barricade we really use a coffee cup or a purse or a whatever to barricade and kind of protect ourselves. It's, it's a fit. Again, it's one of those inbred, probably limbic system of the brain controlled mechanisms that we have. We just automatically do and don't think about. It is so weird because like, again, I'm in no danger, but right. I, I watched it happen. I, I'm like, why am I, why is my, water bottle going higher and I'm like oh because I'm just a little bit not even stressed just a little uncomfortable I'm I'm having an uncomfortable conversation so right the way the way that would impact our audience um largely would be uh probably an iPad uh maybe a notebook if they like to use paper and pen um in on at the kitchen table with a homeowner and maybe a couple where they're presenting numbers um, and we would hear something oftentimes like, you know, uh, my neighbor said they got this done for $200 less or what have you. Um, and it gets not confrontational, but you know, just somewhat uncomfortable. And how do they, right. how do they keep themselves from acting in a way that shows that uncomfortability, which I don't mind, being seen as uncomfortable, but it becomes a problem when it looks like you're not trustworthy. And, and those can blend so easily from what I was uh, listening to in your book that the other person can't tell if you're stressed or lying. Right. That's true. I think a good thing to do would be to do whatever you needed to do on your iPad or whatever, and then move it to where it's it kind of angles to where they can see it, you can see it, and it's not being used as a barricade. So you're opening it up. Hmm. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. So speaking, and I think the first, go ahead. all of this, first thing to know is 
that what you do makes a difference. And just like you, just start to notice, hey, that's interesting. When I was stressed or under pressure for whatever reason or a little bit uncomfortable, this is what I tend to do. Now, that may be fine, but what kind of signal does it send to someone else? And, and it really doesn't take a degree in anything to become more aware of what you're doing. In fact, your mother probably told you, sit up straight, put your shoulders back. You know, I mean, she didn't maybe have a degree in psychology and she didn't need one. But she knew that when you stood or sat in that position, you looked more and you felt more in control of things. How much of that do you think is like culturally driven? Because a lot of that posture um, would probably come from like English heritage or, you know, European heritage, I would guess maybe, Uh, you know, in in terms of like proper polite society, those types of like, you know, stiff neck collars and those types of things. How much of, how much of that is like cultural versus um, inherent? I think a lot of it's cultural. For instance, in this country, if you're a ballet dancer or you're out of the military, you have also assumed those, that good posture, if you will, because that's what you were taught to do under those circumstances. There certainly are some cultures in which that kind of posture is more prevalent because that's what you were taught to do from childhood. There are lots of body language cues that do not transfer culturally. Eye contact is the biggest one of them. You know, in in our culture, if you don't look at someone in the eyes when you're dealing with them, selling them, servicing them, whatever, they tend to think that you're deceptive. I mean, I've seen people lose job interviews and I'll ask the interviewer, this person was so qualified, why didn't he get it? Well, he couldn't look me in the eyes. He must have had something to hide. Hmm. In some cultures, looking someone in the eyes, particularly if they're a status above you, like a boss, is very, very impolite and improper. Uh, some of the African countries are have that in their culture. A lot of the Asian countries have that in their culture, Middle Eastern countries. So it isn't, that isn't the same. So there are a lot of cultural differences. And when you're dealing with someone from a different culture, it's fascinating to know how you're being perceived from their point of view you know, what we do that's offensive in somebody else's culture. Right. Well, Carol, we've kind of taken a little bit of a detour out of your life story, but I I think if we pick up where we left off, you had done some acting and then had a short stint in a, uh, um, an actual clinical psychologist role, like a, a, a practice. Where do we go from there? Yeah. I, when I finished acting, I, I started college. So I started college as a, as an adult. And then I zoomed through it going, uh, taking FLEP, which is a college-level equivalency program for my first two years, started as a junior, got that done in a year and a half, got my master's in a year and a half, got my PhD in another few years. Ooh. So I did it really fast. Yeah. And then I started into my private practice, but almost immediately, I was in a little town called Walnut Creek, California, which is a bedroom community for executives in San Francisco. And as, as well as in, in that own, that region, the East Bay. But I was getting a lot of people in business that came to me for different reasons. And when they, after they worked with me, they said, you know, we're going through a lot of change at work 
could you come in and talk to my staff? Because what you've helped me with has been so incredibly helpful that I think I'd like other people to hear some of that as well. And I thought, heck no, I've never worked in a company. What can I, how can I say that? But I definitely did. I went in and I would give, you know, I thought, well, if I got five people together, I could probably say the same thing. I've been talking to them individually. And I started doing research in organizations. So from that time on, I started noticing body language in leaders. And I was doing a lot of work in change management. And the first thing I noticed was if you don't believe in the change, you better not be the one to announce it because your body will give you away. And I think for salespeople, that's also an incredibly powerful cue that if you don't really believe in the service or the product that you are providing, you better either sell yourself or realize you're going to have a hard time selling someone. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think we can uh, certainly echo those concerns here. And even as you're saying that, you know, I'm processing in my own mind times that maybe I wasn't as on board with the concept or idea and, and you know, my emotions reflecting in my body about that. And I, I think that echoes also with our home service professionals who are in the home. Like nobody, nobody here is asking you to believe or sell in something that you don't believe is in the best interest of the client. Like that's always should always be at the forefront of our concern and why we even bring something up. You need to believe in it because if you don't, you, I mean, at that point you're being deceptive with your own self and that's absolutely going to come forward in, in your interactions with the client. Yeah. It's going to come and it's going to come through your body language. And when you're in person, like, like your audience is, and like I used to be before I'm doing everything on Zoom now, they can see everything. They can read your entire body. They can read your feet. They may not do it consciously, but they can read them. They can read your eyes. They can read your hand gestures. It's not like on Zoom where you can actually block off so many of your body language cues, which isn't a good idea, by the way, but it does eliminate people really seeing the total you. So your attitude, the way you walk, your energy, your initial gestures, your facial expressions, your vocal prosody, how you say what you say, all of that is right up front and personal when you're face to face. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's absolutely what our audience is in in a typical everyday setting where where you are right there at the table and I think it's uh, an interesting point that you bring up that Zoom really does only typically show the top third of most people, uh, you know, kind of the torso up to the head. But in the real in the home, um, our technicians, their whole body, even if it is under the table, so to speak, is still present and can be seen, if not in some part, totally. Or it, you could be standing next to a water heater or a, a HVAC system or something like that. And you, you know, you're a face-to-face -face standing conversation. So then the entire body is in play. So what are some tips or techniques that, you know, our, our professionals can adhere to in terms of making themselves more relatable, much more trust building with the client when they're standing in front of them? You know, I like that you use the word trust because the two things that we're evaluated for, the two sets of qualities are warmth, which is trust, likability, what we call pro-social cues, and power, which is credibility, <clears throat> confidence, 
the fact that we know what we're talking about. Now, obviously, we need both, but we need them in that order. And sometimes we come on thinking, well, I just got to show people that I know what I'm talking about before we understand the incredible importance of letting people know we're on their side, that we're friendly, that we're approachable, that we are warm. And so those pro-social cues are things like those open arms and showing palms. And I don't mean you have to spread your arms. I wish this were being uh, on Zoom because at least I could show you what I mean. But but when you open your arms slightly and show your palms, when you lean forward slightly, not into somebody's face or space, but leaning forward is interest. When you have positive eye contact, which is you, you look at their eyes initially. I always tell people, look at someone's eyes long enough to know what color they are. Now, you don't have to comment on that color, but just notice what it is. Smile. Um, head nod. You know, just, just, yeah, I'm hearing you. Head tilt, which is curiosity. Tell me what's going on here. Uh, those kinds of things are all warm, are all pro-social, are all signals that say, I'm on your side. I'm here to help you. Then people need to know that you can do what you say you can do. And so power, credibility, and confidence cues become very important. And that is, going back to your mom, standing tall or sitting tall. You don't want to slump and make yourself look smaller or less than you are because that indicates that you're, you're not all that sure of what you're saying. So standing tall, sitting tall, taking up physical space. You don't want to condense your body, bring your elbows into your waist, make yourself look less. Again, just if you're sitting at a table and you have um, arms on your chair, putting your arms on that chair, uh, and certainly speaking in your lower and slower vocal tones. Now, when people get excited, they tend to start talking higher and then their voice gets way too high and it shows we're under stress or under pressure. So the more you can just take a deep breath and relax and talk in those lower tones, the more credibility and confidence you show. Yeah, and excuse me here, <clears throat> I need to readjust my posture and uh, <laughs> attempt to straighten things up. <laughs> we, both, we both did. We can, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not a video podcast as the majority of our- uh, Thank goodness on this one. Yeah, our audience uh, <laughs> drives all day and we didn't want to offer the opportunity or, or risk someone trying to sneak a peek at- a video podcast and then it's not much know, to see anyways. Yeah. And then wrecking their truck. <laughs> but uh, the second yep. you said that posture part, we both straightened up a little bit and puffed our chests out. <laughs> That's so funny because the minute someone knows that I'm there to speak on body language, all do that. We, cause we know instinctively that's what we should be doing. Then after about 30 seconds, we kind of relax right, back and forth. Right, yeah. Yeah. But it, it is something to remember, and I certainly, uh, like everybody else, can get very, you know, I, my particularly working from home as much as we're doing now, it, you get more, too relaxed, I think. But uh, just remembering to, to keep that good posture, which actually gives your voice more power anyway, 
that and it allows you to breathe better. And it just it just is a great signal. It's it's so powerful that and so simple that we forget to do it. I remember um, I was in course actually in high school, and uh, believe it or not. I remember there's a physical reason for standing up tall and singing. Uh, it expands your lungs, your diaphragm, and everything, and, and basically makes the ability to sing louder and longer possible. And so I think that, that brings an interesting idea into it, too, when you're addressing a client standing there, you know, being more straight and posturized, uh, not being intimidating, but allowing that natural posture of being straight and upright to assist in your confidence level and in how they're interpreting your confidence. Right, which is why, and I'm glad you said that about intimidating, why you need to lead with the warm signal. Because then you're standing tall is just a confidence projector, not a, you know, this guy is going to really be in my face and overwhelming and I don't know if I can deal with that. There, There is that balance that you're looking for, but the warmth signals are so, so important to start with. So you smile at someone when you walk in, you look at them in the eyes, you, if you shake hands, which God, I hope we go back to handshakes because it's the most powerful and primitive nonverbal cue we have. You have a warm handshake. It's, it's not bone crushing. It's not limp. It's a nice steady handshake because that touch, that says so much. We have no idea how powerful that is. So I'm hoping we get back to it because I certainly miss that myself. Absolutely. Yeah, we're a lot of plumbers here, so we've been fist bumping long before the uh, COVID thing happened. Right. But, but we are... Uh, <laughs> Never shake a plumber's hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got to edit right that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we... Um, I mean, we, we, we like the uh, physical contact thing here. I don't know. I'm, I'm a big promoter of the of some form of physical contact. And when I was in a plumbing truck, I don't know. I, I uh, felt it was probably more, I wore gloves for everything, but it's probably more appropriate to fist bump than to shake hands. But it's funny. I've had um, technicians who worked here and then left and worked somewhere else and then begged to come back here, which uh, most of the time I'd say we were pretty gracious about it and, and accepted them back if they were you know, good people. Um, and one big thing that I heard, I've heard dozens of times that they missed was the fist, fist bumping connection in the morning where you just see a group of people you work with and they're all excited to see you and just do that little tap of the fist, but it's still a physical connection. Absolutely. Absolutely right. There, touch is the most powerful and primitive nonverbal signal we have because we know babies who aren't touched, they don't develop mentally, physically, emotionally. And adults retain such a connection to touch that if you touch someone lightly on the top of their arm or their shoulder for like a 40th of a second, it's just a light touch when you're asking them to join your team or sign this contract or whatever it is, they are more likely to comply. That's called the compliance effect. That's, that's the connection we have with touch. So the fist bump just get some kind of touch in there. It is so, so important. We gauge so much about one another. So I love the touch thing. And uh, that is something to explore how you do that when you're kind of at, yeah. the, at the end of the presentation where you're, where you're asking for the business. Um, and again, we are already assuming 
that, you know, not everybody who listens to the show is a plumbing HVAC and electrical contractor. All that's a vast majority, but there are people from several other fields, at least that we've heard from who are fans, whatever the business is, we're, we're assuming already that you present a product that is beneficial to your customers. Not, so yeah. we're not doing any kind of manipulation for the sake of our paychecks or pushing someone into something that they're going to regret or leave you a one-star review for, um, to us, the five-star review is more important than the actual sale. So assuming already that we're in good standing in terms of what we're selling and how we're selling it, aside from the touch, what other, what other warmth, um, gestures are there when we're say we've done the, the initial call we're now asking for the business. What are some other gestures that our techs can keep in mind as they um, present? I think a lot of things to keep in mind not to do are things that show your anxiety over maybe you definitely needed that, you know, piece of business at the time. So watch that you're not rubbing your hands together or are uh, fidgeting or, uh, you know, grabbing your clothing or tapping your fingers or doing something that kind of gives away the fact that that you're under a little pressure at this time. Not only are they under pressure, but you're under pressure from your end. The other thing to do is to watch your client or customer, whatever you call that, um, and see how they're reacting so that you know if you're on target or not. So to do that, you have to, not only they will tell you many times, I don't like this or I love it, but they'll also tell you with their bodies if you if you start paying more attention. So the first thing that I will tell any salesperson or customer rep person to do is get a baseline. That's why if I was going to interrogate you, I wouldn't come in and say, did you kill her? I would come in and do some chit chat. Because what I'd want to do is get you comfortable enough so I could see how you react under normal circumstances. Uh, you know, boy, this rain is really bad or, oh, we have another sunny day or whatever kind of, you know, go uh, whatever team you're, you're going for at the time. But something that you just can have a very short conversation to see how that person normally looks. Because when they do something else, when they do something, and, and I call them either engagement or disengagement signals, you'll know if you're on track. So an engagement signal would be the same thing as your warm signals. They start to smile or nod their head or lean forward slightly, or they may even start to very subtly mimic your body language, which is what we do when we're really, really in rapport with someone else. If you ever see that sign, you just know that you are right there together. It is an amazingly powerful signal. They will also do things like touch the contract or lean toward the contract because we touch or lean toward people and things that we like. If you see the opposite, if you see disengagement signals, and by the way, they're looking for the same ones in you, so you don't want to do that either. You don't want to or you don't want them to pull back, to swivel their bodies away from you. Even a little bit of that shoulder movement is like giving you the cold shoulder to avoid all eye contact. Now, remember, I already said there is a cultural 
difference in eye contact. But many times when someone is uncomfortable, they don't want to meet your eyes and they will they will look around the room or they'll look at something else. And that's just a signal that they're not comfortable with what's going on at this point. Of course, once you know their baseline, if they never look you in the eyes when they're talking about the weather or the, uh, the, the whatever team that you're rooting for, it's, it's not a signal of anything except that's their baseline behavior. So if you know that, then when you say, you know, did you have any questions about this? And they start looking around the room. It's, it's, it's what they always do. It's not an indication of their discomfort. But unless you know that, you can jump to some wrong conclusions. So, Carol, also, I'm yes. sorry to interrupt. You can finish your thought there. Oh, well, I just want to tell you one thing that an acting coach told me. And it was that when you when you're auditioning, and you go into a room, there are a lot of people there, the director, the whomever else, that are looking at you and they've seen a lot of people that look just like you. And they may have a really disgusted look on their face already. And because we tend to go to the negative, remember I said when we have to make a choice, we will deflect to the negative because that's how we survive. We will think it's about us. A big mistake you can make is to walk in and see someone's expression and think it's about me. So this acting coach says the best because you don't know the context. They may have just had a fight. They may have just they may have just had some bad news. That may be their baseline expression. You don't know. So he said when you walk into a meeting or you're dealing with a customer or you walk into audition and you see those expressions, you need to say to yourself, it's not about me. Just that's your little mantra. It's not about me. And then you just go and be as charming and as personable as you always are. If it's, if it's the warmth that, that uh, people are initially looking for, does it make sense to maybe in that moment walking up to the, you know, we'll, we'll just say homeowner because that's who we're typically dealing with when they open that front door, fold their arms, scowl, and watch you walk 20 feet up the walkway instead of, uh, or in, in, also including saying it's not about me does it you think it helps to say to yourself um you know is he okay is she okay maybe getting, yeah, getting yourself might- worked up toward like an empathetic view of of what the situation might be and we as certainly plumbers know what that situation could very well look like which is overflowing exactly. toilets yeah it's not about you at all you're there to help The other thing that I would suggest is the minute you see someone greeting you with closed arms, I would take out a card, a pamphlet, something, and hand it to them so they had to uncross to take it. Because literally, if you go around your life with your arms closed, you're actually going to retain less of what you hear, and you're probably not going to be as welcoming as you could be. So get them to physically unblock their body, and that will help them feel better. Uh, that's actually was going to be my question, Brian, um, in, in terms of like dealing with coming into a home where somebody's upset, you know, so for your, for your understanding, Carol, you know, obviously I'm sure you've had a plumber or HVAC tech or somebody in your house before. Uh, but like, what if it's a callback situation or like the third time that we've been out or you, maybe we weren't able to service you as fast as you thought that we should. And so 
you're frustrated as the client from the get-go. What can I as a technician do walking up to that home when I identify, hmm, they seem to be exhibiting some uh, negative tre- uh, negative tendencies here with their body language. How can I display my own body language to um, uh, dispel their current condition? I think one of the things you can do doesn't have much to do with body language, but it's very powerful, and that is, to state the elephant in the room. So you be the one to say, this is the third time we've been here. I can't tell you how upset you must be. I want to tell you how upset I am that we that we haven't solved this yet. Just get that right out there. In other words, tell them that you know what's going on. And then send as many warm signals, reassuring signals as you can. The open hand gestures, the the head to the side, which is curiosity. Can you tell me more? Why is this happening? You know, why do you think? About whatever you're going to ask. The uh, the keep your do not do those things where you you want to maybe feel unconsciously like you want to defend yourself at that point, and you want to hold that iPad right in front of you, or you want to do. Remember not to block your body. Be as open and transparent as you can with your body, as well as you are with your words. Okay. And, and, and that makes a lot of sense because I've heard that from other guests before, you know, when, when you're walking into a situation like that, it's best to just call it out. Like you're upset. I bet you're upset. I bet you're upset for these reasons. I can totally understand that because the, um, we did an entire podcast with Brandon Voss. I'm um, not sure if you're familiar with his work or not. He's the son of Chris Voss. And he talked about basically um, identifying the situation and calling it for what it is. Hey, I bet, I bet you're really upset about the fact that this is the third time that we've been out there this week to fix that problem. I totally understand that because people naturally want to fight when they're in that moment. And when you basically let the air out of that balloon, they, they, they're trying to return to normal. But if you don't ever address that, the balloon just keeps getting filled up and filled up. But when you address it and you call it on the carbon and say, Hey, this is what's up. Then people are attempting to get back to normal. That's when you can have productive conversation. True. I think that's excellent advice. The other thing I heard about body language, and I heard this from a bouncer, that if you want to escalate a test situation, you will, square, particularly men, will square your shoulders to one another. And that's a very confrontational stance. So if you, if you start into that and you get more and more squared to each other, one of the things that he did to de-escalate was he would just slightly move his shoulders back one shoulder back so that it was giving more space, at least on one side, so that wasn't quite right in your face. It was a little bit more to the side. And he said that was a really good technique. Nice. Well, Carol, I know that you've done uh, your fair amount of authoring, and I believe your most recent book is actually uh, fairly, fairly recent indeed, I believe as of last year. That's called Stand Out, How to Build Your Leadership Presence. Now, we're an organization and a podcast, as it were, that we are constantly trying to develop leaders, either in their existing positions as leaders or in their developmental stage as becoming leaders. And so I wanted to uh, ask you kind of some questions about that, specifically about um, the five essential skills. And those were listed as composure, connection, confidence, credibility, and charisma. Could you take a little bit of time and walk us through each one of those five and how they relate to standing out in terms of leadership? Well, just as I said earlier that everyone's a salesperson, 
I think everyone's a leader. Now, when that salesperson or customer service person enters somebody's home, whether you like it or not, whether you think of yourself as a leader or not, you are a leader in that situation. People are looking to you the way they would look to a leader for comfort, for solutions, uh, for empathy, for all of those things that, that a leader needs to, to show to anybody that's following. So to think that we're either leaders or we're not is, I think, not realistic. I think there are circumstances under which you are a leader right now. Not to say that you can't develop more leadership skills. When I wrote Stand Out, How to Build Your Leadership Presence, it was really to combine the body language that I had learned and had written about in other books with some of the verbal tips the way you would say something that either undermines your credibility. Let's talk about credibility for a moment because that's very much done verbally. So if you would say things like, mm, uh, I'm not uh, uh, really, uh, but I um, think if you have a lot of those ums and ahs, right away, your credibility is going right down. And it doesn't matter how credible you really are. You see, these aren't techniques to make you credible. They're techniques to show how credible you really are. So if you've noticed or someone has told you, you do a lot of that mm and aing when you're talking to a client or a customer, what you might want to do is what I call the power of the pause. The reason we mm and ah is because we don't like that air between our words or our sentences. We're uncomfortable with silence. Right. But pause can be very effective. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Heart rate went up. <laughs> did her phone line cut out? What just happened? <laughs> Is she it's mad at us? What's going on? She's not going to buy. <laughs> it's sales. If I ask you a question and you immediately come back with an answer that I know you have rehearsed a million times, and it has nothing to do with me personally. I am less positively influenced than if I ask you a question and you pause, as if to consider me as a human being or me in this situation or how you could best respond to me, and then you answer. I don't mean, you know, a five-minute break, but a few seconds of pause, take a deep breath, and then answer, you increase your credibility amazingly so. So the power of the pause for credibility is almost can't be beat. Uh, you can't uh, stop, keep Nate. Doing it. We, we were going to do it to Mississippi, buddy. What happened? <laughs> you, you broke. You couldn't do it. No. I, do, I do a lot of on the podcast, um, a lot of um, where um, I – if I'm training, I'll watch a video of myself training 50 people in our training center. And I don't do that at all. And then I listen to the podcast. I beg Nate, beg him on bended knee to edit them, edit them out. Not and happen. he doesn't No, nope. he loves them. He actually stretches them in slow-mo <laughs> a little bit. I bring some in from different episodes. <laughs> uh, I, I don't understand why I do it. I, I do not understand, especially when I'm like, I'm talking about what my kids' birthdays are. Like, there's no guesswork in here. Why am I saying um between every ninth and tenth word? 
because unlike when you give your presentations, you probably haven't rehearsed your kid's birthday speech. That's true. That's very true. Uh, we also do not rehearse these podcasts. Uh, you might find that hard to believe, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is. Um, oh, see, there it goes again. <laughs> but I, but I can sit. I can sit with a tech in a even if it's a disciplinary meeting or or just a one on one training meeting with something that's completely unrehearsed and it never happens. So is it is it just nerves of knowing that literally dozens of people are listening to this? No. <laughs> <laughs> that there are a lot of people that I've never met before that are listening to this podcast or what, what is that? Cause I, I go back and listen to it. I'm like, I'm never listening to another episode. I'm not going to record anymore. I'm done. I'm done. Well, believe me. First of all, we all hate to listen to ourselves or see ourselves in videos. I mean, that's, that's just start with that. So you're not alone in thinking I'm never going to do this again because I sounded like that or I did that. It, it's hard to know for in this situation, I would simply think it's, it's because you're not quite as on target. You certainly do have an audience, and an audience will affect your level of nervousness or discomfort or uncertainty or whatever you want to call it. All of us, that, that will happen. So it's hard to know with you personally what's going on. I just hear a phone ringing. I hope that doesn't come through. But at, oh, it, there it does, is. yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, that's see, that's the work from home thing that I'll, I just don't know if I'll ever get used to that. At least I don't have, unfortunately, I don't have my dog anymore, and I don't have kids jumping on me. But I, I really do wonder about people that have to do this kind of work or any kind of work uh, remotely in a situation that may not lend itself to quiet and. Uh, and all of those things that we seem to need more and more. The composure part of credibility and leadership presence really came to me because I have a lot of firefighters and police in my extended family, and they have all told me the same thing, that in a crisis, and believe me, I'm sure there are plumbing crises where this is going to be right up your alley. Absolutely. If, if you're the one who stays in control, it doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what, you know, you were assigned to do. People will turn to you as the de facto leader because they're looking for that. So when you walk into a home in crisis and you can stay composed and you can not play into their anxieties and, and problems that they're having and their fears and their anger, then you will really come across as someone they can trust and believe in. And, and you will show leadership. So I, I think that's well-spoken because we do often run into scenarios where we have to take, we have to take control uh, of the situation while still allowing the client to be in control, but we have to kind of be the, um, the de facto controller, if that makes sense. Like we need to take ownership of what's going on, but not ownership of all the decisions that are involved. But that's what the client is looking for. They're looking for somebody to take in and have the composure that they probably don't have at the moment because they are in a state of emotional distress. Exactly. And it's very easy. You know, we are kind of emotional sponges. It's very easy to get 
pulled into someone's negative emotion unless we are very sure of our of our ability to retain our composure. So whether you need to take a deep breath, whether you need to, you know, just have a positive mantra to remind yourself that you, you can handle this, it's going to be fine. Uh, that will come across in how you approach people. What you think will really influence how your body behaves. Yeah, it's tough because you watch you know, a lifeguard who's jumping into the deep end of the wave pool and, and pulling out somebody who drifted into the deep end that doesn't know how to swim, that person is panicked. But that lifeguard is just moseying about like, I'm fine. I know how to swim. We're, we're going to be okay here. Um, Absolutely. But if you can, and, and you have to, as, as, you know, the leader, probably in, in these terms, we're speaking more about leadership, even if you're just, um, if you're an electrician and you're, you're going up to a homeowner who has no power, um, your, your de facto, as you put it, has to be, I'm the lifeguard. I know how to swim. This, this person that I'm dealing with as a leader, as a technician or what have you, is thinking they're drowning. They're 18 inches from the bottom of the pool. They're fine. They can just kick off and, and breathe fine. But you have to be the lifeguard. You have to go into this situation with absolute confidence, just with your outward expression being, I know how to swim fine. I'm getting us both back to the shallow end. Don't worry about a thing. I love that. I think that's spot on. Awesome. All right, we're ending there. All right, see you, Carol. Thanks for calling in. Bye. <laughs> Did you hear that, bro? Carol said I'm spot on. I, I got it. Yeah. I got it. She didn't say that about you. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was a dramatic pause. She just didn't get to it yet. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, Carol, this time has flown by, and I know you have a hard stop here that we need to respect. Um, I believe you hit composure, credibility, uh, confidence. What about charisma and connection? Maybe I missed those, but. Well, connection is empathy, and that's, those are the warm signals that we talked about, the inclusive signals, like we're in this together, I've got your back, you can depend on me, the kind of things that your body does when, when you are open, you're not closed, you're not, you don't have something in front of you that blocks you off. It, it's those kinds of, of signals. Of course, in the other realm, the verbal realm, it's really not what you say, it's how well you listen to someone. Mm. A lot of times people, particularly service people, particularly people like myself, coaches who think they know the answer, don't fully listen to someone else to make sure we're solving the right problem or that we they feel heard. And that is a sign for a leader, for a technician, for any any of us that to listen to that person is the ultimate way of showing empathy, to truly listen. And that is not so easy to do. We've all got our own agendas. We already know what the problem is. We could probably solve it. But if we don't listen to them, they really don't feel like we understand. So in charisma, which is one of my favorites, because people think, well, you got it or you don't. You know, charisma is that rock star that that uh, has the red carpet and is the paparazzi are there and the lights are going off and but if that were charisma you're probably right we either have it or we don't but in leadership or in dealing with people charisma is really being comfortable in your own skin 
And that is liking yourself well enough, being confident in yourself enough, knowing your own credibility, knowing that you really do care about people. That comes out. And charisma can be expressed in all of those things. You can be very charismatic because you have great coping skills. You can be very charismatic because you look so confident. It, whatever your strength is, you can play to that. Because charisma is simply knowing what and who you are, being comfortable in that and letting that come out, being authentically you. And that is a, you wouldn't think that would be a skill set, but that is a heck of a skill set. You know it if you're around people that you just say they are comfortable in their skin. Oh, man, we had, uh, we were fortunate enough to have lunch with Dr. Oz. Was that three weeks ago now? Yeah. And uh, w- one thing you couldn't help but notice about uh, the good doctor, man, was that guy comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. I was pretty fidgety. My ums were all over my body. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the other thing is I, I remember interviewing a, a leader once, a man who ran a big public relations company. And when I left, I thought, wow, he's the best person I've ever talked to because all he cared about was me. Yeah. So you can be incredibly <laughs> by just being incredibly empathetic and connected to other people. I believe people it was, will think Sorry, go ahead. That was the best conversation I've ever had and you you haven't really said two things. <laughs> yeah, I believe it was C. S. Lewis who who said, um, the humble person isn't the person who talks the lowest of himself. It's the person who talks about himself the least. Yeah. It's like it may they humble, truly humble, caring people are probably making the conversation about you. And, and that is what you just said, which is you feel like great person really into me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Spot on. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's kind of a a good way to, to end in that other people really probably care less about you and care more about themselves. And if you can deflect some of that interest that we all have in ourselves onto those other people that you are dealing with, you will become incredibly charismatic. That's a big win right there and a great place to go out, but not before you tell us about your LinkedIn um, class, course. What do you call it? Yeah, this is something that I did for a little company called lynda.com, which I had never heard of, by the way many years ago and they asked me to do something on body language for leaders so i i did i I filmed a course a video course lynda.com was then bought by linkedin linkedin bought by ibm and of course now that course it was three years it was their absolute top seller on linkedin learning which is how it's listed now but body language for leaders which i redid about two years right before the pandemic, it has just exploded all over the world. And it's a really good course, whether you are a leader, a salesperson, I, whatever you are, you are also a leader, as I mentioned earlier. And I think that that's, it's, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I have gotten wonderful responses without knowing, thinking I was doing something for, you know, those 12 people that were going to see it and literally over 2 million people. I mean, just, it's just, it's terrific. 
Fantastic. And that was uh, LinkedIn's learning program, correct? Right. Awesome. Yes. Well, her book is Stand Out, How to Build Your Leadership Presence. Her name is Dr. Carol Kinsey Goman. Make sure you check that out. Uh, Carol, are you on other social media platforms or is there any other ways people can reach out to you? Well, I'm definitely on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm on Facebook and I post a lot of videos and articles on my own website, which is carolkinseygoman.com. And gosh, I think that's, that's tough. I am on Twitter, but I keep forgetting to do it. So you know, that's probably not the best place. We have the same and problem think- with Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> But LinkedIn is really a good place. I also have a newsletter that I put out on LinkedIn, and that's great for body language and presence and management and a lot of things that I that I talk about. And I put that out every week, every couple of weeks, whenever whenever I can. Excellent. Well, uh, just one final question for you, Carol. Uh, early at the beginning of the show, you mentioned how you were in the acting career and how there's a significant difference between a dress rehearsal and just like um, you know a, a line reading or something like that. So we, we here in the in-home services, we take great pride in or the way that our trucks look, in the way that our uniforms are, are clean and pressed, in the way that we condition or shave our, our facial hair or uh, just our regular hairstyles, all those types of things. It's it's all about the way that you dress. Speak as we close out here on the impact that dressing to impress, or, or you know that that philosophy, like the real dress rehearsal, impacts your performance on stage or in the home. It is absolutely key for two reasons. The first one being when people see those trucks, that uniform, the hairstyle, the facial hair removal, if, if that's what's being done, they have an instant, they have seven seconds to make a decision about you. And when they see that, that decision goes into the positive column right away. But the second thing is the way you feel when you are dressed that way. You feel like a professional. You feel like you are representing a service and a company of which you are proud. And that is probably as important as how other people perceive because it changes the way you feel about yourself and the way you present yourself. Excellent. And a great place to stop and a great reminder for all of our technicians in the home. It makes a difference. Uh, Dr. Goman, it's been a difference maker for us here at the podcast. We appreciate you taking the time and uh, we'll look forward to more information coming forth from your uh, profiles, your books and your overall platforms. Thank you very much. It has certainly been my pleasure. You're very, very welcome. It was a blast to talk to you on top of the uh, awesome educational stuff you provided. It was just a a good, fun time chatting with you. It was. Thanks, Carol. Thank you. Hey, that's a wrap for us. And man, I got to tell you, I was a little surprised. We had quite a dynamic guest on here. Sometimes when you have a a doctor with a clinical degree in psychology, you're a little worried about getting psychoanalyzed uh, on the podcast. But man, she was a lot of fun and I wish we could have dug in more uh, to a lot of the topics. She had a ton of information and value to bring to the table, uh, not only in terms of what it means to dress to impress, but also our body language, not just for how we can conduct ourselves in front of a client, but how it impacts our own leadership journeys, which of course is an interesting topic for us and something that we continue to focus on. Dramatic pause inserted here. 
for those of you who are challenging uh, yourself to become a better leader, to become a better person in the home services industry, to perform better in terms of dealing with a client. And maybe that's a frustrated client, or maybe that's somebody that you're just trying to build that trust with. A ton of information on this podcast. Make sure you go back and listen to it. Check out that LinkedIn learning uh, program that she spoke of and some of her books, including the most recent one, Stand Out. That's a wrap for this episode. And we want to give you the opportunity, or should we say the challenge to stand out in your own organization. Uh, learning these types of things may seem kind of um, schoolish, you know, more like, uh, yeah, I remember taking a class like that back in high school or something like that. But it does have great impact. And it is a way that you can differentiate yourself in the industry. I'll tell you one thing that you already know. There's a thousand other guys and gals just like you attempting to do the same thing for the same client that you're serving right now. If you don't find a way to differentiate yourself from those other people, you're just going to be one more chuck in a truck, right? Jan in a van. It's all going to be the same. So you need to learn ways of making yourself be different, different in a good way, different in a positive way, different in a trust building way to the clients that you're serving. And when you do that, when you do that, you will make yourself a memorable experience for that client. And the next time they call in, they'll be asking for you by name. And that's the challenge that we give you. Differentiate yourself. Come up with your own name in the industry that is going to make a difference. And of course, that is what our challenge is here to make that difference, to decide to choose to wake up every single morning and waste no day. 